This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Why do so many modern people dress as though they're about ready to change the oil in their car? I'm an architecture buff. One night, I was watching a program about Victorian homes. In this particular video, a man was showing the viewers through his mansion. It was a fine home, complete with turret, 14 rooms, and magnificent woodwork. Two things stunned me about this film. One was the magnificence of the house and the story of its restoration under the supervision of its owner. The second was the fact that the owner was dressed in a t-shirt and jeans. This fellow was sharing a great achievement with the public. Why was he dressed as though he was getting ready to cut the grass? This is typical of the false egalitarianism of America today. Once men wore suits to baseball games. Now everyone dresses as though they're about ready to go on a tramp through the woods. There are many situations in which work clothes are appropriate. No one wears a tuxedo to do heavy yard work. That is reasonable. People in many trades need clothing that is as tough as the work that those people do. However, when one enters a fine restaurant, many of the patrons are dressed the same overly casual way. The founder of the international TFP movement, Professor Plenio Correa de Alavera, considered the importance of clothing in his 1953 article. Dignity and Distinction for Both Great and Small. This essay has been translated and adapted for publication without the author's revision. Sir Winston Churchill, born of an American mother and an English father, reached the apex of human greatness in his country and attained it deservedly by his exceptional talents, the unusual scope of his personality, and the merit of the many services he rendered his country during the course of a brilliant political career. Endowed, moreover, with the refinement of an excellent traditional education and of a vigorous and extensive culture, Churchill was the grandson of a Duke of Marlborough, this great statesman also distinguished himself as a writer, a brilliant orator, and one of the finest conversationalists of our time. He was photographed in grand uniform with the collar of the Order of the Garter as he arrived at Westminster Abbey for the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Obviously, it is only natural for a personage of such merit to present himself wearing his insignias at this most solemn ceremony of English public life. Now, it would be a big mistake to suppose that according to the doctrine that underlies the coronation ceremony, noble, distinguished, and solemn apparel is worn only by persons of distinction. If clothing should correspond to the one who wears it, and to the circumstances in which it is worn— then the dress of the eminent man should harmonize with the position he has reached. But God does not only have eminent men as sons. Every human creature, however humble, has his own natural and inalienable dignity. Given this fact, throughout the centuries of Christian civilization, customs slowly fashioned clothing with a high tenor of dignity for people of humble circumstances. If glory with its external signs belongs to one such as Churchill, the respect that authentic common merit deserves belongs to others. For both great and small, there is a just and honorable place in Christian civilization. Many other people were photographed by newspapers and newsreels during the coronation festivities. One such was identified only as an invalid from the Chelsea Home for Veterans, which was built in the 17th century by Charles II. 
This man also has his traditional uniform for days of gala, which he has donned to watch the coronation procession pass by. Caught unaware by the camera as it rained, he is dressed in an old and rumpled military uniform, eating a sandwich. His features reveal the great distance between him and the glorious Churchill as regards personal merit and family tradition. He is, however, a man who honorably rendered the services he could. And if glory with its external signs belongs to the one, the respect that authentic common merit deserves belongs to the other. This respect is expressed in the dignity of his dress. For both great and small, there is a just and honorable place in Christian civilization. While the colors and styles of clothing and insignias change with time and place, the spirit and principles of these traditions have a universal value. It is only necessary to restore the principles, and they will spontaneously give to each country and each institution the adequate tone for the circumstances of time and place. I do not need to tell you that standards of dress have declined since 1953 when Professor Plenio wrote the last essay. Anyone can see the effects of that decline in any setting. It almost seems that many people are trying to be as ugly or immodest as possible. Much of this is due to the whims of the fashion industry. Some of it comes from natural desire to be comfortable. However, those two factors cannot explain it all. Mr. John Horvat explains some of the underlying reasons in his essay, The Emperor is Wearing Pajamas, The Decline of Dress. The modern attitude toward dress is that it has little effect on the way people function. In fact, people are advised that the more comfortable they are, the more efficient and happy they will be. People generally respond to such advice by collectively retreating into a shabby array of blue jeans or shorts, t-shirts or sweatshirts, and sneakers. It really does not make any difference what you wear. It is all a matter of personal preference. Such conclusions do not coincide with those who study attire. They have always affirmed that clothes are more than just covering. What one wears definitively has an effect on what one does or how one performs. Educators notice a change in performance when students wear uniforms. Soldiers fight better when they know how to maintain the sharpness of their dress uniforms. Businessmen get better results when in formal attire. Clothes express one's personality and individuality. They communicate who the person is. A recent study co-authored by Professor Michael Krauss of the Yale School of Management provided a noteworthy proof of the effect of clothes in the business world. He found that wearing clothes of high social status greatly influenced job performance and communicated a note of dominance and mastery to those engaged in negotiations. Professor Krauss compared the results of two groups of men, one wearing business suits and dress shoes, and another in sweatpants, t-shirts, and plastic sandals. Those in the two groups were told to negotiate the sale of a hypothetical factory and were given leeway to make concessions. The men in suits conceded an average of $860,000 off the list price of the factory as compared with concessions of $2.81 million for those in sweatpants. The researchers found that those better dressed behaved with more control, they elicited more respect, 
and exuded more confidence. Similar results were reported in a study last year in the journal Social Psychological and Personality Science. People in formal business attire proved more capable of high levels of abstract thinking. They tended to see the big picture more easily than casual dressers. This made them more successful in their business decisions since they did not get bogged down in useless detail. The moral of the story is not that everyone should always wear formal business attire on all occasions. The real moral is that each type of clothing is suited for a purpose for which it is designed. Sweat-padded executives and suited runners are signs of a world gone awry. When people ignore purpose in clothes, it has consequences. Everyone knows that clothes make a difference. The evidence is irrefutable. Yet so many bizarre fashions still dominate. Part of the blame for this disregard of function in clothes can be laid on the fashion world. Designers make it a point to overturn every taboo and convention in their search for novelty, excitement, and frivolity. The fashion world creates great pressure on people to follow the fads or else be ostracized. The result is fashion that contradicts common sense. In what might be called the frenetic intemperance of wearing whatever fashion dictates, there is a callous disregard for function in clothes. It leads to a corresponding desire to destroy propriety and modesty. People become self-absorbed by their own comfort and unconcerned about how they might appear to others. To cite yet one more example, there is a new high-fashion trend now invading public spaces and social life. It is the wearing of pajamas as a form of social attire. Man-style bottom and top pajamas are finding their ways into places outside the bedroom. Fashion houses are now selling out of designer pajamas made to replace evening gowns and cocktail dresses at formal social gatherings. Well-known celebrities have been appearing publicly in pajamas and even bedroom slippers to give yet more prestige to the trend. The problem is that pajamas look like well, pajamas. They project the untidy image of people who are ready for sleep or who have just awoken. Pajamas presuppose an intimacy with loved ones that cannot be shared by the general public. But the fashion world has decreed that pajamas are chic and therefore people must obey. Even the fashion designers have a hard time overcoming the bizarreness of sleepwear in the public square. They recommend that their striped pajamas be paired with other fashion accessories, like dressy shoes, belts, or blazers, perhaps to blunt the shocking impression of one being a prison escapee. Pajama prints on the street are marketed as sleep pants, so as to appear more like a distant and laid-back cousin of sweatpants. Designers admit that daytime pajamas represent a rebellious spirit that is not for the faint-hearted. All this is part of a general disorder in fashion in which suits are belittled and pajamas exalted. A day will come when people will be freed from the chains of the fashionistas. When that return to order happens, people will dress once again with purpose, modesty, and beauty. 
Until then, people will continue to appear in an embarrassing and bizarre array of clothes, or lack of clothes, awaiting the eureka moment when some innocent child will cry, the emperor is wearing the wrong clothes. One of the peculiarities about modern attitudes towards clothing is the fact that people who dress as if they don't care what others think really do. In fact, they care intensely and are very easily insulted. About two years ago, a Houston high school principal learned this lesson in a hard way. Mr. Edwin Benson described the situation in his essay, Should There Really Be Dress Codes for Parents? A Houston high school has just issued a dress code that points out the importance of maintaining standards. In this case, the standard was minimal, and the intention was reasonable. The intentional reaction to it tells us much about the reasons that our society is steadily becoming more disordered. What made this dress code different was that it was not for students. It was for parents. Carlotta Outley Brown the principal of James Madison High School in Houston, Texas, noticed that an increasing number of parents came to school inappropriately dressed to the point that it caused disruptions. She decided that she needed to require appropriate dress from students' parents. On April 9, 2019, she sent parents a letter informing them that certain items of apparel would not be acceptable if parents visit the school. Her list includes satin caps, shower caps or bonnets, hair rollers, pajamas, leggings that are showing your bottom and where your body is not covered from the front or the back, sagging pants, men wearing undershirts, and very short shorts. Every item on that list is reasonable. After all, the students are not allowed to wear these same items. However, the public reactions to Principal Brown's letter show that reason is as rare as respect. This appears to be the first time that a school in the United States has tried to implement such a code. In January 2019, Tennessee legislator Antonio Parkinson introduced a bill to create a similar code throughout the state, but that proposal has not been debated or passed by the legislature. Until the late 60s, School dress codes were well understood and reasonably uniform. Boys were to wear buttoned shirts with collars and dress slacks. Girls were to wear blouses that covered their shoulders and chests, along with skirts with a hemline below the knee. Both sexes were to wear leather shoes with low heels. This simple code protected the dignity of all students and facilitated learning. Appropriate dress was an important factor in maintaining decorum and discipline. The school was a place of academic work, not recreation. During the 60s and 70s, dignity, restraint, and modesty became unpopular concepts. Those who attempted to uphold standards were described in Marxist terms as those who tried to impose their bourgeois values on the rest of society. Jeans and t-shirts became, and remain, the official uniform in schools. They are often more expensive than the dress clothes they replaced. They also suppressed the individuality that they claimed to promote. Indeed, everyone looks like everyone else. 
The students of the 60s are now in society and have brought their style into the workplace. The concept of dressing with dignity in school, work, and other public places has come to be viewed as a relic of the past. As Principal Brown in Houston discovered, those who attempt to restore even the lowest standard of dress will meet with resistance. The news media unanimously condemned the principal. Consider a couple of typical headlines. The Associated Press used the heading, Houston High School's New Dress Code Takes Aim at Parents. The NBC story started with, A Houston School's Dress Code for Parents Teaches Kids Sexism, Elitism, and Intolerance, Not Respect. The Associated Press report quoted Zef Capo, the president of the Houston Federation of Teachers, who used the terms classist and belittling to describe the codes relating to women's hair. Quote, I'm sorry, this principal may have plenty of money and time to go to the hairdresser weekly and have her stuff done. Who are you to judge others who may not have the same opportunities that you do? Having a wrap on your head is not offensive. It should not be controversial. This situation also allowed local politicians to weigh in. Ashton P. Woods, a candidate for Houston City Council, vented his opinions on Twitter. Quote, This is elitism and respectability politics. She should be fired. Most of the parents likely cannot afford to comply with this dress code. This is not 1984. Unquote. Both Mr. Capo and Mr. Woods try to turn the debate into a class struggle issue. They imply that the principal's actions are based on the ruling class oppressing the lower classes. Both objections are easy to debunk. The new dress code does not require that a person's hair be freshly coiffed. It just says that it is not to be covered. Reasonable people can agree or disagree, but the social class has nothing to do with it. Covering the body also is not a matter of class struggle, since modest clothing is generally no more expensive than immodest clothes. In fact, modern fashions, including ripped clothing, are often much more costly than normal clothes. The objecting statement was made to appeal to emotions. As such, they fit into the postmodern narrative of a society that is classist, racist, elitist, or whatever adjective is in vogue. The real objection is the presence of any rules at all. One catchphrase of the revolution of the 60s was, it is forbidden to forbid. The do-your-own-thing ethos also still rings in the postmodern mind. The spirit that insists that there is nothing wrong with wearing pajamas when visiting a school is the same postmodern spirit that says that there is no reality, but only social constructs that are accepted as reality. Any rules made by a society that reflects objective reality can be easily rejected as your truth, which is opposed to my truth. The great concern about the parental dress code of a high school in Houston is its attack on rules. A world without rules is anarchy. Some fashion trends are long-lasting. 
others are momentary. Does anyone in the audience remember the intensely bright day-glow colors from about 1985? Recently, there was an entry in Facebook that showed several pictures of young people wearing day-glow sweatshirts. The caption read, If you're in this picture, it is time to pick up your grandchildren from school. Indeed, very few situations are as humbling as being faced with a photograph of oneself in fashions and hairstyles that were popular over 30 years ago. The more fashionable you tried to be, the more embarrassing the pictures are today. One hopefully momentary bit of fashion is shirts with the words, Not Today, Satan, printed on them. Mr. Norman Fulkerson examines the dangers of this trend in his essay, Not Today, Satan t-shirts are like playing with fire. While waiting for a recent flight in the Orlando, Florida airport, I took advantage of the time to walk and pray my rosary. Suddenly I noticed the t-shirt of a young lady as she walked past. It was black with white block letters that said, Not today, Satan. The girl had black hair and heavy eyeliner and looked like someone who might be involved in black arts. I could not resist a query. What does your shirt mean? I ask. It means don't bother me today, Satan. I've had enough, she responded. Her response was not what I expected. Before parting ways, I could not resist a follow-up question. So that means you believe in him? Not really, she said. I don't think that far ahead. Her reply seemed to affirm, even if flippantly, that she would one day have to make a choice between God or the devil. The t-shirt was not serious about making this momentous decision. It was merely the latest fad. I was curious as to the origin of this phrase. I found out that it came from Bianco Del Rio, who was competing to be crowned the best drag queen on the TV show RuPaul's Drag Race. The phrase first uttered by this drag queen went viral and began to appear on coffee mugs, keychains, and t-shirts. Later, Christians co-opted the phrase by adapting it to say, Get thou behind me, Satan. The stern words our Lord used to rebuke St. Peter who was unknowingly speaking for Satan. Actress Candace Bure, purportedly a conservative Republican and professed Christian, helped contribute to the widespread use of the phrase. She posted an Instagram photo of herself wearing the drag queen version of the t-shirt Not Today Satan and became a victim of a woke crowd who accused her of being a homophobe. This minor incident is an example of how we should not let our decadent culture dictate how we profess our faith, especially when they dress in drag. We should also not allow pop culture icons to determine our clothing choices. Wearing such a t-shirt is serious, since it implies that the wearer is a Hercules, who can dictate when the devil can or cannot disturb him. Such an attitude can easily lead to pride, which always comes before the fall. The devil is the enemy of God and therefore our enemy. He is not someone to be taken lightly. The serious way of dealing with the father of lies is to have humble recourse to Our Lady. This came to mind as I was visiting a couple in Texas after seeing the t-shirt. Both have the custom of wearing the miraculous medal. Her medal is special because she had it gold-plated. Therefore, 
everyone who crosses her path cannot help but notice this marvelous adornment around her neck. Indeed, the medal often provokes favorable comments, which she uses to speak about the Mother of God. The medal depicts Our Lady smashing the head of the serpent. Her arms are outstretched like those of a mother. The rays of light coming from her fingertips signify graces she grants to those who ask. It became known as the Miraculous Medal because of the countless miracles, both physical and spiritual, granted to those who wear it. When waging war against the devil, we must not follow the lead of drag queens and celebrities. The most powerful line of defense is to have recourse to she who is the virgin prophesied in the book of Genesis. Our Lady is the one who crushes the head of the serpent, and he is the one who lies in wait of her heel. This concludes. Why do so many modern people dress as though they are about ready to change the oil in their car? Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family and Property, TFP.